Welcome to Quiver Financial's quarterly live stream for the first quarter of 2023, where we are asking the question, it's March of 2023, are we still taming the bear market? A lot has happened since our last recording in December of 2022, as inflation and interest rates have remained higher for longer, wreaking havoc on the balance sheets of many banks and corporations, causing the second biggest U.S. bank failure in history, with the fall of Silicon Valley Bank to then be followed by the failures of Signature Bank and Credit Suisse, leaving investors with questions like, is my money safe in the bank? What can I be doing now to protect my money and still find investment opportunities, along with what the heck is going on in the stock market, interest rates, the dollar, and commodities like gold and oil? We cover all those subjects and more in this quarter's Quiverly Financial Livestream. I'm Colby McFadden, joined by my colleagues Justin Singletary, Patrick Moorhead. Gentlemen, there has been a lot happening since the beginning of the year. All kinds of questions that we're getting from people about, are interest rates going to continue higher from here? Is the stock market done going down? Is the bear market over? Or are we going to see another leg lower? Uh, what's going on in commodities, gold, oil, um, with bank failures happening? What's going on with banks? And where should I put my money? These are all the kinds of questions that we're getting from people that we're going to discuss because since the turn of the year, a lot has happened. Uh, gentlemen, let's just start there because I'll tell you this. I, I Since the start of the year, and Patrick, thank you for putting this slide together, um, there's been a lot yeah, happening. And, and, and <laughs> let, me, yeah, yeah. Let, let me ask you this. If, if, if you were on a, um, a, a stranded island, you know, you're, you're on a desert island, and all you were getting is these him headlines, you know, things like, you know, inflation increases above 6%, um, Silicon Valley Bank fails, First Republic Bank sells off in fear of, you know, failure. Um, what was the other one? The SIVB Bank fails. So all of a sudden you have all these headlines. If you were on a desert island reading these things, what would you think the stock market's doing in that? I mean, maybe a dumpster fire. It yeah. would be down. <laughs> Cratering. Yeah. Cratering, right? Yeah. And, and what has happened? 2008. <laughs> yeah, it very feels very 2008-ish. And, and amazingly, as you can tell here, um, the market's been able to hold its ground. So that, that's raised a lot of question for people, especially like us who've been since January of 22, we've been saying we're in a bear market. And since June of last year, it's amazing that it's been nine months since we said there's going to be a bear market rally. So the question is, with all this bad news, you know, why is the market not making new lows? And that's a valid question. It's like, are we, are, are, is the market that resilient? Or are these just setting the stage for something else to happen? Because like in 08, the first bank to go down was IndyMac, right? And they went down, I think it was July of, of 2008. And then it wasn't all the way until September that the big domino, Lehman Brothers, went down. So you had this stretch. And, and I remember in that same time frame, markets 
were steady. They were they're they're holding their ground, and people were thinking, uh, this is." I, I remember them excusing Indie Mac away, saying, "Ah, yeah, you know, those guys were always partying with their pants down. They were, you know, they were, had the most subprime mortgages, that kind of stuff. Kind of the same way that they're, you know, saying with Silicon Valley Bank that is very unique to that situation." So I just think it's it, it's really um, interesting because um, with bank failures, treasury bonds, interest rates, um, those have been the biggest questions. We just did our client event on Thursday. Um, out of that client event, guys, what, what do you think were the biggest questions that you heard from people that we should address today? Bank failures. Bank failures. Was one. Yeah. Well, and to say that, to go backtrack, because bank failures happened in 08, you know, that's not to say that just because some have failed now, that's what's going to trigger going forward. But I think more so people are worried about their cash inside the aspect of bank failures. Yeah, there's a lot of questions about, uh, is my cash safe? You know, so, yeah. you know, Can I go uh, down there and still grab it? Yeah, and, and of course the questions of, can the government come in and take my bank account or take my IRA? We, we seem to get a lot of those questions, which um, we won't delve too much into, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try and stay on the topics of the market today <laughs> and uh, not go down those rabbit holes. Um, so, and then what we'll also talk about is, is the stock market, I think, has been a really big question. People are wondering what next. Um, where do you go now? If the bear market's over, are we going to rally to new highs? Or are we still just in this mix of a bear market rally and we should be more cautious? Uh, so, we'll discuss that and we'll let the charts tell us what's going on there. Um, bottom line, really, is it's our, 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 our story on the stock market really hasn't changed in, in many, many months. Um, so we'll just recap that. Um, last year, there was a lot of conversation about the dollar. Um, the dollar's strength, um, while most people are getting marketing material talking about the demise of the dollar, um, we get a lot of questions around that. Is, is what's happening with a digital currency? Is that a threat to the dollar? And yes, you know what? We're going to talk a little bit about when we get into the charts that the dollar is on this this momentous change that takes a hundred years, and this is how fiat currencies and and reserve currencies, and you know we saw it with Great Britain was the first one that in in modern history that you can look at where it took a hundred years for another currency to replace that, which was the U.S. dollar. Now we're in a situation that yeah, you know what? Globally, there's some things happening between China, Saudi. Russia with, uh, you know, basically what we are starting to consider our enemies, okay, or not such our allies, where they are going to look to trade oil and gold and things in other currencies than the dollar. So, yeah, there's a change happening there, and it shouldn't be scary if you're expecting it. If you're not expecting it, you're not prepared for it, then it could be a scary thing. So we'll talk about that, how to how to prepare for that kind of environment. Um, and then, really, when you look at what's happened since the beginning of the year, Nothing gets gold and metals really moving more than bank failures. <laughs> I mean, gee whiz. So are we gonna, you know, are we in the nineteen seventies? You know, are we in a situation where for the next handful of years, um, investors are better off looking at the commodity space and as opposed to the technology space for growth? Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that as we get into the charts too. So that fair with you guys? Sounds yeah. great. All right, let's start off with um Let's start off with some market performance. What's going on this year, guys? Well, if you'd watched the S&P since the beginning of the year, I think we hit at a high. You know, we were up 8%, and then we've had a little bit of a relief with all the headlines and all that type of stuff. So we're only up a little over 3%. 
And for surprisingly, a lot of the tech stocks have really rallied during this time. You, you had the Nasdaq, frame. yeah, yeah. So the Nasdaq's up over almost thirteen percent. But then your typical Dow, which the Nasdaq is a little more important than the Dow. It's only thirty stocks, but it's still down overall, kind of giving you that industrial strength <clears throat> aspect of things. Yeah, what's interesting there is is last year in twenty twenty two. NASDAQ had its worst performance out of all the indexes, yep. down around yeah. 30%. The Dow had the best. It was down only maybe 10 or somewhere around there. Um, and so now this year, you've got that flip side. It looks like this reflex rally, and the NASDAQ has come back. Um, I think a lot of that, though, I know, Justin, you watch these more than I do, but I think a lot of that was Tesla and NVIDIA. I think, yeah. I think it could have been concentrated to just a handful of stocks. Yeah. Well, not only that, but when watch out for when you get your statements for this quarter because they're going to lean into the fact that the S&P is up, the NASDAQ is up, so your statements might show up year-to-date. But take it back to last year to compare where your statement might not be up year-to-date is something to take consideration. Well, the big difference, too, is is this 10-year Treasury. Last year, you had a 10-year Treasury that was rising. So if you had a portfolio that was half stocks, half Treasury bonds, or 60-40, whatever it may be, um, you were getting whacked on both sides. Market was going down. Your Treasury bonds were going down. This year, we've stabilized there. The, the Treasury market has stabilized because, as you can see here, the 10-year has gone from 3.3 to 3.8 has kind of been the range, and we started at 3.8 and have come down and back around. So it's been a tamer interest rate environment for people's portfolios. So so people definitely have felt a little bit of a, a little reprieve the last five, six months. On, on the mid to long, what we're not showing here is the short-term side that's had much more volatility this year than oh, it did last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. A lot of volatility, and, I, and that's going to continue. Yep. Interest rates are going to have a lot of volatility. There's a lot going on there. Um, so we've got, you know, gold's been up. We were a big proponent of that uh, at the beginning of the year as well as starting at towards the tail end of last year. Um, mm -hmm. I'm still a big proponent of it. Um, as you mentioned, the bank's going under, a few of the banks going under. I think a lot of people got a little nervous around that. So the flight to that has shown you're up about seven and a half percent. What's interesting here, though, is the uh, the two commodities, oil and natural gas, especially natural gas, has taken it in the shorts. Yep. I mean, down 43 percent, you know, so contrary to, you know, what we believe is something could be, a, you know, a potential gainer later this year is definitely down quite a bit this year. So you got oil 14 percent down so far in the first quarter natural gas, 43%. Um, and then corporate bonds are about the same, but I know we're, we're going to be looking there hopefully later this year, if we can get some, uh, yeah, some, uh, good prices in corporate bonds. Out, later. Of, out of all those things, it, it's, you know, there's a good lesson for investors to learn from that list. Um, if you look at last year, natural gas was the big performer. There was a point last year, natural gas was up 70, 80%. Um, that was that we talked a lot about that and for our portfolios and our models we played that quite well we had you know some good entry and exits and it was a great example of don't overstay your welcome in commodity spaces because because they're, they're they shift a lot um so now you have a situation that was the best performer last year is the worst performer this year and so the lesson for for investors is don't make this year's decisions based on last year's performance. Right. Like you can't. You cannot look backwards 
and make your decisions that are forward-looking. Right? And so this is a great example of uh, past performance is not indicative of what can happen right, next. In the future, yeah. Um, so I think that's a, a really good... This year is a perfect example of how the first three months have been f- complete flip side of the last, or that let's say from March to June of last year. And on the flip side of that, of, of also a perfect example is gold has been historically an inflation hedge and something that people run to and there were a lot of speculation that oh they're not going to run to that they're going to run to bitcoin or all these other type of stuff and this year has proven that history is going to repeat itself and gold is going to be the safe haven okay well and I, I would add too i mean last year we had you know the market was down and even then people weren't flighting to gold it right. wasn't until the bank failure started showing up and i mean it, gold was already <laughs> trending you know upwards in general when the year started so before some of this happened and but i mean we had bitcoin fail and all that yeah, type of stuff right those yeah. fail yeah yeah, I, when I look at the chart of gold, which I just put up here, and it goes from 2013 to, to current, or actually to June. This is our chart from June of last year. So I'm going a little bit backwards to go forwards. Um, you can see it's been a very sneaky gold rally, right? From the bottom in 2016 to now, there's been a pretty damn good return. However, just like you were saying, Justin, from 2020, the middle of 2020, through 2022 uh, like to now 20 the beginning of 2023 so it's been like a two-year process two and a half year process where gold's been consolidating in a fourth wave that's what fourth waves do fourth waves churn and take up time get people like bored and exit their position because it's not there's got no momentum and then the fifth wave happens and the reason it's a fifth wave because that fourth wave turning people up it eats up a lot of the volume. It, it takes a lot of the, the fuel out of the tank. So the fifth wave then comes, and that's what creates that loss of momentum when the fifth wave finally starts getting to a certain level um, is it, it, you, you lose buyers, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is our chart in June, and then when I come to now, um, you can start to see here, and, and over the last couple of days since I did this chart, gold started to break out to almost new highs it really looks like it, it, it's doing that so our my conviction that hey we're in a fifth wave that that our chart patterns here are, are correct is incredibly high on this mm-hmm. yeah um, i would agree yeah and, and so i think that that gold has a little more to run uh, but realize this it's a fifth wave yeah. right so so there's not a sixth <laughs> yeah there it could but <laughs> but at, at, at the smart money is at some point if you're riding the gold wave in the near future, handful of months, maybe a year, whatever it may be, you're going to need to be looking for your exit. Because there again, this might be 2023's best performer and could be 2024's worst performer. And you don't want to be there. you know. So, so I, while I really like gold and gold miners, I like them on a short leash at this point. Don't get too greedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did they say? Uh Bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. There you go. <laughs> All right. So I don't know if you guys have any fundamental reason to believe or technical reason to to dispute the fact that this bottom line in metals and and this is gold and silver and other metals, but for the most part, we're using gold as our visual pro- proxy. Um, you know, I, I like I said, I I think you got more room for rally, but be careful. 
And, um, you know, I, I don't know what uh, the answer here is, but I know that, you know, with a lot of this geopolitical stuff going on and some of this talk of digital currencies, I know, you know, China and not maybe not so much Russia, but for sure China is, you know, buying and mining a lot of gold. Yeah. So they're definitely, I think we mentioned it at the event, uh, you know, that if they do do a digital currency or some version of that, maybe it'll be backed by, you know, yeah. their, their, their gold standard. Yeah. Some, well, something like that. And we that. talked about doing or settling oil and natural gas and other currencies. Yeah. Right now the currencies are backed or benchmarked to the dollar. Yeah. So if they're going to start doing that, they're going to need to start benchmarking to something. Gold might come back into play to, to do that type of deal. Otherwise you're just benchmarking it to the dollar anyways. So the dollar is still needed, which is kind of counterintuitive to what a lot of people are saying. So. Yeah, you guys have heard me talk about the <clears throat> podcast that George Noble has called No Bull, mm-hmm. and um, I'll say that he's got some very bright people on there, and and um, a lot of what I've gotten from there, they've they they've been contrary to a lot of other people's beliefs, and they've been dead on. And um, in a recent podcast that I listened to them, um, one of his guests that seemed very knowledgeable has a big background in metals, um, was just sharing that what you have going on in the digital currency side is in, and, and, you know, since really January, the Saudis have become very vocal that they're willing and able and setting up processes to trade oil in other currencies and the belief system or, or what is, is being talked about that's happening behind the scenes is that you have this kind of coalition. Let's say maybe it's between Saudi, China, Russia, um, you know, name anybody else you want to mix in there, like North Korea or whatever it may be, um, and they'll have a digital currency that has some kind of pseudo backing of a hard asset. Mm-hmm. You know, and so these central banks in those countries are picking up more and more gold. There's an assumption there's that that this is part of a process that they're sometime this year. They're going to come out with a digital currency. Maybe it's backed by gold or maybe it's backed by some kind of implied implied nature of gold, whatever it may be, um, in order to give people confidence to start to use it and trade oil and other assets within that. So that's one of those things that if you're if you're hearing that kind of stuff for the first time, you go, holy shit. Well, my gosh, you know, but if you're expecting it. Then you can prepare for it because there will be opportunities uh, of to take advantage of something that seems so contrary or threatening to the U.S. dollar. So if you're not expecting it, it could be scary. But if you are expecting it, hey, we can prepare. We can we can look at assets that could benefit from that. Yeah, look for you know, opportunities. Which could be gold, right? right? I mean, obviously, supply and demand here. So so there's just a lot happening there that's both geopolitical um, um, and just cycles. Um, shift in cycles uh so it seems like um we, we've got the trend so we don't need to beat that horse um and the flip side of that is the big driver there is 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 the u.s dollar so so a lot of we've been bullish with the dollar for a couple of years here it made sense in this chart you can see from 2013 all the way up until the end of last year the dollars had more strength than weakness even in the midst of all the emails that people are getting about all oh, the dollars are going to doomsday Go to zero and, yeah buy buy bullets butterfingers and gold and, and <laughs> hide no, in your bunker <laughs> and billion yeah billion, billion. we, we were um, going to do a joke at the beginning cuz it's easter coming up saying 
Find find the triple Bs for the egg hunt where <laughs> where you say bullets, <laughs> bullets what it, butter butterfingers, and, and bullion. bullion. Yeah, triple Bs, <laughs> the triple B bonds in those sectors. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you know, so what it looks like to me in this kind of chart of the dollar, it looks like that that near term we continue to have a little weakness. I think that helps fuel a little upside to gold and even possibly the stock market for a few weeks. Um, but I think also if we get into the next phase of a crisis, that's typically dollar strength. So I think um, what we're experiencing right now is a big macro fourth wave, just like you saw in gold. We're kind of experiencing that in the dollar. Um, and maybe what coincides with the peak in gold of that fifth wave is eventually the dollar gets some footing here and starts to go into it, its last phase of secular growth. Um, and same thing with the dollar is the next growth phase that happens here is probably on a short leash. It's 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 this growth phase has been going on for you know eight years. Right. Well, and some that might impact that you know we're going into a recession where gold and dollar kind of fight each other for the prime. You exactly. Know, so that can have an effect on it too going yeah. forward. Yeah. You definitely have a, a tug of war here, and so the charts and the fundamentals seem to be kind of aligning. Um, so right now, this is what I think we continue to expect. Um, so from a from a uh, an investor perspective, there's really nothing I see in the near term, the next three, four, five months that's happening in the dollar that you need to really factor into a portfolio. It's 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 it, now after that we'll we'll talk more about it, but uh, it's not a concern for me right now in a portfolio. I don't know if it is for you guys, but yeah, I mean, I I would just say that you can see like we talked about with. With gold, you know, same, you know, I mean, look at it, you know, I mean, it chopped around for so many years, even though the trend was slightly up, you know, I mean, it's, you know, you're, you, you, you held it, bought it here, you know, it didn't really do much for call it five, six years and for you. Well, this is why, this is what happens in currencies. They're long trends that you have to be very patient Yeah. Um, and you don't want to sit on them all the time. That That's why being tactical and strategic, you have, important. it makes sense. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't have anything that, that is really different from what we've communicated the last six months in, in the dollar. I don't think much changes there over the next three months. I think it will become a, a bigger conversation point later in the year, but uh, for right now. No need to waste time on it. Video clip from the Jetsons? Yeah, that was the Jetsons. Yes, yeah. Do you like that? <laughs> well, I did. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That was the old clip from the Jetsons. I miss the Jetsons. I do, too. That was a good I show. miss old school TV. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready to go back to the rabbit ears. Um, <laughs> I miss Looney Tunes. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the stock market and kind of wrap things up after this with uh, a little conversation on oil afterwards, because yeah. I think that's a big, you know, we've been, you know, big, big proponents of energy and oil, and uh, we'll give you an update on that, because if there's anything that we've been early on, it's that. <laughs> early say is the wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so, well, we were right, and then we were wrong, early yeah, again. So, shifted on us. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a yeah. second. So the stock market back in June of last year, um, when the markets were making lows for this bear market decline, um, things were pretty grim in, in people's attitudes. And we said, okay, we should expect some kind of bear market rally. And since then, and we shared that chart. Since then, in, in December, January, um, we came back out and said, ah, you know what, we still believe it's a bear market rally. You can see, it, Justin maybe point out there in October at the bottom, yeah, that you know we bottomed out in in October really, and since then have just been grinding higher. And so we drew this line of demarcation that said if the market is above that blue line, 
it's probably have as an attraction higher. And and uh, in the last few weeks, people have gotten incredibly negative. Everybody's expecting the market to crash. Everybody's and then especially when you got all the bank failures coming out. You, everybody was expecting that we'd already be. This is the S and P five hundred is at forty one hundred right now. People would have been expecting it down at three thousand, thirty five hundred, right? With everything that's been going on, that hasn't happened. That's what happens in bear market rallies: is you get these little short squeezes that keep going, going. Eventually, it'll lose steam, but we're just not there yet. And markets love to create maximum frustration. That's, I mean, that's it. So what I would think happens here is while everybody's super negative expecting the market to go down, what does it do? Probably squeezes a little bit higher, like like we have here on the chart, maybe 42, 43, 4,400 even. I don't know if it has that much fuel in there, but possibly. Um, and then I think later, you know, then I think you roll over. So that the the what we said in January, the pay me now, pay me na- later market. My attitude hasn't changed. Yeah, um, same. And our allocation shows it. Our exposure to the stock market is less than ten percent for a reason. Well, and the market's had a real tough time getting over that 40, at least the S&P getting over that 4150 mark. Yeah. I mean, the minute it gets over that, everybody's selling. Yeah. It, somebody's coming in just whacking it. Yeah. yeah. So, well, that's what you said, the frustration. You know, it, it might get up there, and it's going to give you the thought that it's going to go down, and then it turns and rips higher again. So. Yeah. Well, and right after those, what, the last few weeks, the, you know, there was a, a huge number of shorts out there, and what what did the market do? We ended up on an up week and yeah. squeezed everybody out of those. Yeah. Yeah, and that it's that's the treacherous part of the market. Bear markets, bear market rallies are really hard to play, um, and so that's why it's just best to be patient and not do a lot. Um, and so it's the next move that matters. And so right now, it's best just to kind of sit back and wait for the ball to come into your mitt, and then you know look for the next play after that. Um, so I, I mean, I, I, the, I'm glad we don't have a lot of exposure there, but I'm open minded. Um, to doing all kinds of things in the market. Um, I'm excited, though. I'm incredibly excited that if this is true, like if, if we've got our pattern right, that means in like three, four, five months, we could be like seeing some incredible bargains. I mean, we could be sitting there going, wow, if I buy this, I may not need to look back for many, many years. So it's really important for people not to be fearful of this that we need this to happen we need this cycle to go all the way through we need bankruptcies we need failures we need these things to happen so the fed can say okay we were successful we brought inflation down we did some wealth destruction that's exactly what we were trying to do now we can reverse course well it's like you said at the client meeting in a bear market we're not stock picking because what you know we'll buy etfs because in a bear market everything goes down Whereas when we have those opportunities, that's when we're going to be picking off stocks one by one because yep. those are going to be the ones that are going to show the rally and show the performance. When the tide is dropping, I don't want to be in a boat. I want to be in a plane. That's why we got you, Patrick. <laughs> take you anywhere. Yeah, we got you. You can take us on your plane. Bottom or top. Um, so uh, bottom line is this, is, is we really don't feel that um, anything's really changed in our viewpoint of the market. Uh, the green line there that is like critical, critical support that like once you, if and when you break that, then, you know, we'll have a confirmed, another confirmed downtrend. Uh, but a lot could happen before that, that, that comes if it happens. Um, but from an equity perspective, if you're, if you're not a quiver client and you're, 
you know, you have your 401k or your account somewhere else, and it's heavy, heavy in equities, um, then you may want to reach out to us and have a conversation about, you know, what, what you need, because everybody's situation is different. You know, so some people may need to do something about it. Other people's may not. So, and at this point, why are you not a quiver client? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. So let's move on from there and wrap it up with oil, because this is something, you know, we two months ago, we put out a uh, our, our uh, catching the next wave newsletter. Um, we highlighted the energy sector um, and I purposely did it right around that time frame because I felt that short term there could be some softness in oil and in energy names that I would want to buy into, because while I felt like for the first half or first quarter of this year, oil prices could be soft based on the charts. Um, and we talked about this last time that that we felt oil was consolidating off of the first kind of bear market or bull market rally that it's creating. And we're expecting another rally uh, of similar size. And so this is just that kind of consolidation period where a market that grows can correct by time or price. And this one's doing it really with time and price. Um, so that those two green lines are really, really key. It's a big support zone. And that's a problem with big support zones is you, you got to give it patience of like a 10% range, which is not easy to do. Um, and so that the, we're resting right now in oil. We bounced off of it this past week, that dark green line. So right now, that critical support line for oil looks like it's held. Um, and it looks like, you know, and I, I, I think of the next few few weeks, the next 5% in oil could be up or down. I don't know what it is, but I still believe the next 50% or 30% is higher, not lower. Um, and our thesis in our Catch the Next Wave was really it's around supply issues. You've got some demand things because China's coming back online, um, and but more so you've got some supply issues. And then also geopolitically, if we have what we talked about in the dollar and in gold and foreign currencies trading oil, I think we start to get really in a situation where the Saudis, it really benefits them to keep pushing prices higher. I also think the Saudis are at an age where they they need to make this their last hurrah. Not that they don't have enough money already, but you know, when you're 50 and you like want to, you know, call it quits, you know, the next 10 years you probably push oil as high as you can and make as much money as you can. So, well, and that being but that being said, that's maybe the Saudis' view, but you know, we have a lot of oil and gas investments in the alt space. And a lot of the oil companies aren't actually in favor of $200, $150 oil because it just creates so much destruction, so much long-term pain yeah. that they're fine with $70 to $80 a barrel oil. It's not like they want that to potentially yeah. happen on the U.S. side. No, I don't think anybody really <clears throat> wants it. Um, right. Other 20, than the Saudis. You know, to get their somebody's going to have to make a decision. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're supposed to be changing over all vehicles in 2035, according to... Well, and that's why I the think rhetoric. Now you're, now you're the, getting political. That, yeah, well, that's why <laughs> I feel. Changing, yeah. That's why I feel that, that that's where you come into supply issues is because we've had such a big ESG environmental move around this. You've kind of the last ten years, you've really shut off a lot of supply. You've shut off a lot of drilling. You've shut off a lot of things in anticipation of more solar and wind. Um, and now, you know, we're starting to see that. Wow, we didn't really plan this out. 
You know, when when you see that that you know a perfect welcome exa- to the government. Well, yeah, I mean, a perfect <laughs> example is yeah, I would love to see electric cars really be perfect for the environment, right? But then when I read articles about oh yeah, you know what, you get in a small fender bender with a Tesla and they end up scrapping it because the expense to repair the battery is so high, the insurance company's like, eh. So now you all, all of a sudden you have cars with very minor damage that are going off and getting scrapped, and now that's just adding to the environment. You know, like that wasn't thought out. Right. Right. And, and normally you would have had an industry that says, hey, let's make sure it's right for the consumer, including replacement value. Right. Right. That wasn't thought through. Or um, take so. it granular in the fact that all battery cars are twice as heavy as a regular vehicle, causing more wear and tear on the roads and tires yeah. and all that type of stuff, which is increasing. Yeah. yeah. So I think all those things, the whole ESG movement has just helped add to the demand in oil. And you do it, it's kind of gotten the, the unintended consequence of a good idea yeah. um, mm-hmm. and bad execution. It. Um, and it'll get better, but in the near term, from an investment perspective, um, I like the idea of watching oil, and and that green line is really really crucial. If we break below that and say have sustained trade below that, then the whole thesis on oil is completely wrong. I'll have to you know save faith. I'll, you know, I I don't know what I'll do something an embarrassment. Of being our wrong. next our next video. Yeah. <laughs> so the, stay tuned because we'll see. Because I do I do think. Um, then this is going to be a big uh, topic over the next year, uh, along sure. with gold and along with other things like that. So um, bottom line, for, for if you're a client, if you're a Quiver client, and you're saying, okay, great, Colby, um, you know, Patrick, Justin, I get it. You think gold's looking stronger. Oil is an interested area that you want to you know, maybe lean more into if it holds support. Um, you believe interest rates are lower in the near term, but higher eventually, you know. Um, so what do you do with a portfolio like that? What do you do with my cash if, if I'm scared about bank failures, things like that? Um, so what we've really figured that we've started to do is that why wouldn't an investor just keep their life as simple as possible and do a third of their money in things that are cash or treasuries, like high-yielding cash instruments, right? Because you can get... You know, like our Stone Castle account that pays four point is it four point two or four point four now? Four point two four. Four point two four. Yeah. It's four points. You know, almost four and a quarter. Let's call it. Um, and it's completely liquid. And then you can go out and buy a one-year treasury, and we're seeing things five and a quarter, five and a half. Um, and then with another third of your money. Go where the momentum is. Obviously, the stock market doesn't look like it has much momentum, but metals do, mm-hmm. right? Hopefully, oil will look like it has some. So why not, if you're going to take risk, let's put it in the areas that have a rising tide, not a dropping tide. Um, so energy, metals, basic materials. Um, last year, one of the greatest sectors was aerospace and defense. You know, So we'll see if that continues this year. You know, we don't make your decisions based on last year, but do look what's happening this year because it doesn't look all that bad. Right. Um, and then have another third of the money in our models that are basically designed to kind of hedge the market. If the market's going up, we'll be in the market. If the market's going down, we'll be other places. So I call those alternatives because they're things that can shift and change with the aspects of the market. And then along with that, 
you should probably have some alternatives that are income producing. Yeah, um, income producing for sure. Yeah, and that's Patrick's area. Um, this this market really becomes like you know, Patrick. We've talked about it before. Like you really got to bone up your knowledge on what your alternatives are because you need more things that do not correlate to the stock market or the corporate bond market. Um, and especially if you need to create stability and income on a portfolio. So in my mind, when I look at a mix like this, a third, a third, a third, I feel like, hey, I'm in a pontoon boat. Like I feel like, hey, I, I've built uh, a nice raft around me that can endure whatever comes this way or that way, but I also have the opportunity to you know, get some growth out of it um, if, if we're right in the areas of, of commodities and energy-related type of stuff. So that that just seems to make the most sense, and that's where we've kind of seen our models um, alter and change through. And then for those of you that receive our 401k guidance, you'll see that in our allocation guidance that we give for the 401ks, it's very similar to this as well. And I think if you're listening and looking at this, you should take a more overview of it that we're not shooting for the moon on returns, you know, near term we want consistent, stable type of return. So nothing, you know, exponential growth type of thing during this near term because of the volatility, because of the uncertainty that's going on. More cash flow. Yeah, I mean, I, I it, it, there's times to take risk. You know, it's a, you know, there's, there's environments that it makes sense, and um, this just doesn't seem to be one of those. So it doesn't mean that you have to hide. It just means you have to be more thoughtful on how you allocate, and and it doesn't have to be difficult. You know, this is a very simple allocation with a very thoughtful process of the trends in mind. And I mean, we're seeing it with the big boys. I mean, all of the big boys are buying the treasuries. I mean, you can't get much better paper right now, you know? Yeah. You know, here's a th question that's come up, though. Like, I, like, one of the things that came up with the bank failures is that um, people heard in the news that one of the reasons that these banks failed is because they had toxic treasuries. Like, and so I've had that question come up, like, what's a toxic treasury? And it's like, well, that's a media thing. You know, <laughs> they, they, they give they, that's so you read, you know, put the word toxic. People go, what? You know, um, so so uh, that's brought up when I've said to people, hey, you should, you know, in, in, include more treasury, one year treasuries in your portfolio, build a bond ladder. Um, the questions come up. Oh, is that safe? I heard treasuries are dangerous. So and what you have to and I get that. But when you're buying treasuries that are maturing in a year or less, your the risk that those banks had is what they call interest rate risk, and they were buying bonds that were maturing in 10 years, 20 years. So when interest rates rise now and you have a bond that matures in 10 years, the price of that bond is going to shift around a lot. But if you have a bond that matures in a year from now, the interest rate change in the near term may cause your bond price temporarily to go down a little bit, but it doesn't matter if you're waiting to the maturity date. Right. And if you're waiting to the year, the bond matures, you get your money back, and everything about the price that happened from the moment you bought it to the moment that matured was irrelevant. It was entertainment, right? Yeah. Um, so if you're buying or if you're building a bond ladder that is built with short-term treasuries, you're not going to get toxic treasuries. That's not going to happen. If you go out and buy a bond mutual fund, 
and even mm -hmm. some bond exchange traded funds or some exchange traded notes, then yes, you could find some toxic assets because you have to remember, Wall Street loves to take things like dog crap and wrap it with cat crap and call it a Tootsie Roll, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's you know, so when you get into some of these bond products like funds and things like that, yes, you have to be a bigger discerning consumer. You have to do more homework. Yeah. Um, but if you're building a bond ladder, like what we're talking about here, buying the bonds and, and no middleman other than who's helping you buy them, then it's a completely different situation. Well, and if you're worried about what, you know, if SVB or some of the ones that failed, whether or not they're a systemic issue, reach out and we can explain to you the nuances and the differences of why it's that type of situation was is not a systemic issue in most banks. Yeah, and it's really important to understand that, that, that the banks that had problems were regional banks. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be other problems. Right. Like, like the, the goal of this cycle of the Fed is to create wealth destruction. It, and, and they have to create bankruptcies in the, in the corporate space. So companies that borrowed money from Wall Street. So I've talked about this before. I'll use Sunrun as an example. They, they borrow money from Wall Street. They sell bonds and they have to pay seven eight percent on those bonds what or even six they take that money they use that money to finance the people who put solar panels on their roof but they finance that over 20 years or 30 years so it's a big long and they charge them three percent two percent four percent it's lower than what they're servicing their debt on that kind of business model is what will blow up in this kind of environment. And so there are companies that have REITs that have done the same kind of model in commercial real estate. And in commercial real estate, you're going to re-up your loan every five to seven years. And so if you've gone through an interest rate hike in that time frame, and you're a commercial real estate owner and you need to go refinance your property and now rates are a lot higher, you could have a problem. So that's another area that Pete, so like if you're banking at a regional bank or you're banking at a credit union, the question to be asking your bankers is, what did you do in the real estate market over the last 10 years? What kinds of loans did you extend out there? Um, what kinds of loan? You know, so that would be like that as a consumer, though, the, if I was banking at a bank that issued a lot of loans over the last 10 years to commercial real estate that's on readjustments of every five or seven years, then those are the banks that are going to be on the, like the watch list. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, if you guys out there have questions about whether your bank is safe, whether your portfolio is safe, what you can do, that was one of the big questions we got from clients is, Hey, what type of accounts is my money safest in? Right. And we have answers to all those questions. And so if you want, if you're if you're a quiver client, you know exactly how to get a hold of us. If you're not a quiver client, one of the ways you can take advantage of getting your questions answered is we'll give you a free portfolio analysis uh, where we dive deep and we, we, we will show you what will happen within your portfolio if the market falls, if interest rates rise. So consider it like a stress test for your portfolio where at the end of it, we will have a very clear vision of what your portfolio could do in the future if some of the things that we've 
forecasted here start to unfold. Um, so definitely take advantage of that. Um, so let's wrap it up with that, gentlemen. Anything you guys want to add or? I think it's good. I think we covered it all. All right. Well, we want to thank all of you for joining us on the 2023. Are we still taming a bear market? Quiver Financial. Have a great day, folks. Were you asking us that question? No. <laughs> <laughs>